Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Martin Chi, who's the CFO and co-founder at Amica, an accounting integration system that allows firms to automate their data entry processes. Martin actually started his career in a boutique accounting firm where he is now partner, while also helping run Amica. He focuses on a range of areas such as businesses and startup advisory, management accounting, systems implementation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders podcast, Martin Chi. Were you uh, born and raised in, in Sydney? How, how, was, uh, how did that all come about? Born and raised in, uh, in Sydney. My dad migrated over here from China when he was about six years old, I think. Yeah, so I was, uh, I was born and raised here. My mum, she was born here, but both of her parents were, were Lithuanian migrants, oddly enough. So, yeah, interesting, interesting match. I don't know how that sort of came about, but anyway. So I got th- three, other, three other siblings. Mum was a full-time, full-time housewife doing a good job raising us, and dad was pretty much in the restaurant business most of his life. Uh, his, his family was in, in the restaurant business, and then... He ended up there himself, owned a Chinese restaurant in, uh, I don't know if you know, the suburb Ashfield for a number of years. And then that was very successful and then had an opportunity to open or move the restaurant to Hunter's Hill and then had that for a number of years as well. So he was he was in the industry for about about 30 years running his own running his own Chinese restaurant and, and very much a family uh, family run operation. So which is, you know, it's a good source of cheap, cheap labor. Yeah, <laughs> you, you tend not to have right. so many trust issues with uh, with family. We'd like to say he was fo- he's fortunate in that because he's had you know f- four kids that he could tap into <laughs> across a uh, couple of front of house, couple of back of house, <laughs> couple of chefs. <laughs> definitely, from from my perspective, and I, and I know from my older siblings as well, there's a little bit of re- resentment getting roped into the family business. But uh, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of you dislike it or you don't really rate the experience going through it and then you reflect on it and, you know, there are some meaningful and useful things that you, you kind of learn along the way. And, like, I think in that regard, it was an interesting start into employment generally for me. You know, it, it was kind of like you just get thrown into the deep end and you, you got to figure things out for yourself. And I think one of the one of the great things working in hospitality and I like I'm a I'm a big advocate for everyone I think should do a stint in hospitality just to sort of be on the other side of the fence and you know understand what goes on behind the scene behind the scenes and you know the pressure that you're you're subjected to and the kitchen subjected to and I think that experience you know in, in that service setting it really puts you in a good stead regardless of what kind of professional your environment professional environment you're in after that because it, it really teaches you to one you know get on with things you know during a service there's like a whole host of things that can go wrong and i remember one of the first uh one of the first shifts that i had ended up dropping a tray of drinks onto a poor lady's lap and that was like the very first customer of the shift at you know like 5 30 you know you just kind of want to Put, put your head in the sand and you know don't not speak to anyone and, and hide but you know you've got five hours of service ahead of you so you kind of just have to wash it off and and get on with the job and so I think that's that's something that's really valuable that I took from it and, and also 
you know, being in service, it's like, it doesn't matter if you're having a, a, a bad day or a good day or, you know, an average day, it's, you know, you got to put on the smile and the veneer for the customer and, and make sure they're having a really good experience and, and having a good time because they're, you know, they're coming out to relax and enjoy themselves and, you know, de-stress and, you know, so that, that that's a really important thing as well that I took. I took from my time working in the biz. What was your dad's opinion of, of COVID and, uh, you know, the restaurant industry, et cetera, in Australia? He's up there in age now. So I think most most people, you know, sort of like in their you know, early 70s, late 70s, they're kind of just like, you know, get, get on with things and quite compliant with everything, I would say, generally. You know, so it's just, yeah, they were, they were kind of lucky, uh, my mum and my dad, because they they enjoy getting onto the golf course for a hit and you know they could still they could still do that and then in terms of the, the restaurant side of things like they're both they both enjoy cooking a lot at home so it was just a different kind of uh existence and lifestyle you know for the for the two years that things were were kind of in a bit of a state of flux but um yeah it's 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 funny eating out at restaurants with my dad because it's always it's like going to watch a movie with like a film critic or something you know you get the commentary as you go along you know oh this is this is frozen oh you know should have picked that one up or how to ruin every meal that you're ever gonna eat out at <laughs> pretty much so yeah they were you know like i, th- I think that's that, that's probably representative of the experience of most people in that sort of age age demo you know and they're 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 relatively fit and active too so fortunately it didn't didn't impact them too much but yeah it's like covid obviously like you know not not to get into it too much but yeah i mean it's definitely within the space that i'm i'm in you know not just on the accounting front but the software side of things yeah i mean it's 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 been really crazy times i mean on the software front you know we've been so fortunate that everything was already kind of in the cloud and you know, you're kind of making making stuff out of thin air. So we 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 actually like had our best. You know, when, when it comes to the Amica side of things, we had our best two years in terms of the traction that we um, that we got. And then on the accounting side of things, like uh, again, you know, a number of a number of years ago, we put quite a lot of effort into making everything cloud. You know, we switched a lot of clients across to zero, and this was sort of you know something that we we started doing you know five or six years ago. And, you know, everything's just so much more interconnected uh, now. So, you know, there's not a lot of, or, or, you know, even back then, there really wasn't much on, on-prem stuff in terms of us having a physical server in the office. You know, the, the bulk of our ops were already, already in the cloud. And then I'd also started to dabble in offshoring, you know, this five or six years ago as well. So that was, you know, it kind of forced you to be, to be that way too. And it's been interesting managing that transition with clients like not not all clients you know really interact or care too much about how you do the job you know it's much more outcome outcome driven so they don't you know they don't really care or, or appreciate that the processes behind the scenes but definitely i think and particularly when it comes to let's say bookkeeping clients where it's it's quite a heavy engagement in terms of you know how frequently you might deal with the client or how often you might talk to them or, or how often you might share information with them, that that's been quite transformative for us in terms of we like to be incredibly transparent with the way that we do things when it comes to processes for for a client's business. 
so what I mean by that is that, you know, let's say if you, you have a, an engagement and it's for bookkeeping and, you know, that might include managing an accounts email on behalf of the client, managing their AP, their AR, doing the data entry and filing. We, we like to make that really transparent so that effectively the client's got a process manual and even if it's not, not us that's doing it, even if it's something that, you know, they might assume over time or assume pieces of over time and, and put that as an internal part of the business we like to just have that there as a reference for everyone and you know it just sets the expectations correctly so people know when something's done who the person is that's doing it what the process is that they go through how long should it take you know which people are involved in the process and it's just being able to tap into different software to be able to to present that information you know in a nice simple visual way that's been really, you know, really powerful for us. And it also helps to convey the value proposition as well. Cause a lot of people just, you know, they're, they're busy running their businesses. You know, a lot of this stuff is very reactive and, you know, we try to, we try to inject a bit of that structure and, and planning into the process and also to what one make processes as scalable as, as we can, but also two, we want to reduce any like singular human dependencies that might exist in the process. And, you know, I think the most challenging thing with anything to do with accounting, it's it's this idea of how do you scale trust? And, you know, when it comes to most accounting relationships and engagements, you know, it's 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 all built upon, you know, the, the, the trust factor, you know, like you're making a pitch to the client, you're saying, yes, I can do this. And, you know, I can provide you with advice on that. And, you know, it's not easy to once you've built trust with a client to then just offload that to, to someone else. How did you manage that process? Like it sounds like something you've been pretty experienced in now. As like a, a vision and, you know, like a, a bit of a, you know, f- philosophical approach to the way that, you know, we, we work, we've got a, a team in the Philippines across all the businesses that I'm involved in. And, you know, when I was starting that team uh, very early on, you know, the pitch to the staff that, that were working with me and had first started working with me was that, you know, there's really no limit on your capabilities and the level of responsibility that you can assume within whatever the business is. And so it was, it was something that I really emphasized early on that, you know, it's the sky's the limit. We don't, we don't separate or view whether you're working in the Philippines or in, you know, Sydney or Melbourne or Poland or, you know, Indonesia, wherever you might be working, like we just don't view it differently. You know, the extent to which you can progress within an organization and the extent to which you can assume more and more responsibility over time and, you know, develop professionally and and elevate your status, you know, it's just dependent on the person's appetite and aptitude and, having that kind of approach it was kind of very anti the way things were done you know if, if i rewind five or six years ago when you know we were first doing work in the philippines and i'd engaged a, a bpo at the time because I, I had no idea you know the process or the way it would work or the quality of the talent that was there and it was very structured it definitely wasn't the cultural norm to deal with 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 staff in in that transparent a way like it was a bit confronting for them initially, you know, it's like, it's almost like, you know, you can say to someone, 
you know, if you have any issues, raise them with me. Uh, if you have any concerns, whatever it might be, you know, please approach me, all of these things. And even though you might say that and repeat that every week, you know, there's still this apprehension, you know, culturally and, and also, you know, not, not just culturally in terms of the, the general personality traits that, you know, they might have, but in terms of the, the corporate culture and the professional culture over there, that was just not, you know, it just kind of didn't really work that way where you were having these kind of really frank and open discussions with your boss or your manager and you also had this quite high level of control around the way that you might structure and, and, and do your work. That's something that we, you know, we try to convey across all the businesses. Like when, whenever we're, you know, when, whenever we're hiring people, we want people to be self-reliant and, and responsible and can largely work autonomously. And, you know, there's obviously a support, a support network there, but, you know, we want people to be able to exercise their discretion and, you know, it's just something that you got to, we had to consistently work at it because even though you might have a conversation with someone and you think they're being candid with you, you oftentimes find out later that it's like, oh, that was kind of like, you know, 50% of the um, true picture of the situation. Yeah. So stepping back a bit, so you've got Amica, which is about integrate uh, the software for integrating client applications for predominantly small businesses, I guess. We'll come to that. So tell me about the accounting practice, though, and you know, draw it back to your to your to your life in uh, your dad's restaurant and and seeing the work ethic that he had. I've got no doubt that that's had a big impact on you and and uh, the way that you approach your career, but given that you've got three jobs at least, so what, what, um, <laughs> what got you into accounting and, you know, t- tell me a bit about the story. So I actually got roped into accounting through one of our customers at the restaurant. It, it was a regular that came in, you know, once a week. And, you know, when you work in uh, hospitality so long and you have all these regulars, it, you remember everyone's order. <laughs> you remember all the prices of all the dishes. You, you know, like do all this. Uh, you basically just like sit down and you're like, here's your here's your order. We don't have to even talk about what you want to eat eat tonight. But um, anyway, it was this lovely um, elderly guy that had a had a small practice just around the corner in Dremoyne, and you know basically started doing part time work while I was studying. I was studying at Macquarie University doing a, a Bachelor of Business Administration and majoring in accounting and, and HR and, you know, do, doing as little time on the campus as possible because I was at the restaurant at that time. So, we were we were open Tuesday to Sunday and I was working basically Tuesday to Saturday. Yeah, so it was a full, a full schedule trying to do full-time uni and then do that and then this opportunity came up to do a bit of part-time work at, at an accounting practice down the road and you know i i kind of grabbed grabbed that because it was obviously relevant to what i was studying and yeah just you know started it's it's funny reflecting on what what the experience and what the profession looked like you know 15 16 years ago you know just monumental change but um yeah so just you know started doing general bookkeeping stuff and month end and general journal adjustments and and all that kind of thing and it was it, it was a really great experience in that it wasn't like a you know let's say an internship that you might get at a big corporate where you, you're probably doing quite a narrow set of things like it was just it was very much like you know whatever you want to attempt or whatever we think you can handle we'll just dump on your desk and you know give it a crack and that was that was really great for me because I got 
a really diverse experience doing a range of things, whether it was, you know, preparing monthly accounts, whether it was, you know, dealing with insurance renewals, whether it was preparing tax returns for individuals, partnerships, trusts, companies, self-managed superannuation funds. And then, you know, on, on top of that, it was also, you know, the ability to contribute to that business in terms of having a look at the way things were, were run and, and, you know, why, why perhaps, you know, things were done in a particular way. And, you know, I really got a good insight into the way the business was run. And so that, that, that put me in good stead for a lot of the startup stuff that um, I eventually, you know, got, got into. But going back to the, the early days in the accounting practice, like, you know, back then, you know, drafting a tax return literally involved pencil and, and, and paper. You know, we, we, we had printouts of all the different types of returns for the year. You know, you, you basically pe- pencil everything in that you're, that you're taking from the software. And so when you're doing a, when you were doing a complicated trust tax return and then something changed, you used to like tear your hair out because you got to follow it, follow, follow it all through. It was really relevant for wh- where I ended up because I got to see the evolution of technology coming into accounting practices and the accounting industry obviously has been massively disrupted, you know, with techno- pro- probably one of the industries that has been most disrupted, uh, I would argue, just in terms of the way that technology has sort of invaded so many different aspects of, of you know, running an accounting practice, but also the way that your clients might, might otherwise manage the accounting and finance functions of their businesses. It's evolved, like you know. It's it's not like um, you know Blockbuster, which was uh, disrupted by Netflix, right? Like there's still accountants uh, have, well, most of them hopefully have have you know gone from paper tax returns, like you talk about, to to you know man- managing really personal relationships. I guess the the disruption, right, is you know being able to interact with your client in real time it's no, no longer usb discs and, and cds chased down the street with with an myb file in it right but but accountants are still there there's the volume of of graduates hasn't dramatically changed like not like if you're a blockbuster franchisee which you'd be a bit shitty about right a little bit yep it's just so many different things i mean you know from like one of the big things which really really opened things up i mean you know once the the bandwidth in the internet opened up i mean that just you know there was a a whole host of things which you know then became possible and it's crazy now to reflect on you know if you if you're talking about 15 years ago like trying to get if you were trying to send let's say a large myab file over the net it was just like it probably wasn't possible until the likes of a Dropbox or, or someone came along and then you could kind of share a folder and, and, and get at it that way. But then you had the issue of, you know, you want to work on the file and then the client wants to work on the file. So you got to kind of organize. It was never in the same version though. It was like illegal to work <laughs> at the same version of it. You remember the days we had 75 different versions of MYMP on your Well, we had, you know, <laughs> I, I just remember on every single desktop that we had in the office, it was like, every single version of QuickBooks and and it was like starting at 7.4 <laughs> all the way to like 20, you know, 2012, 2013. And then it was um, all the same for MYB as well. There was two things that was happening at the same time, right? Because there was, there was firstly just the, 
you know, the throughput increased because the software got better. I mean, it happened to be in a browser. But you were more connected and all that kind of stuff. So so you had this scalability. You had this scalability availability, I don't mean to end everything in ITY. But, um, you know, you were able to process more clients. You were able to get through work easier and faster. But also, you're also able to start educating your customer base and having better relationships with them by essentially real time, which led to being able to not only produce financials that were, you know, a little bit less than one year <laughs> late, up to you know trying to trying to help with uh, looking forward, right? Like I mean that that was the big critical difference in the relationship, right? You were able to actually assist, not just tell your client that they owed the ATO 75 grand and, you know, depending on what year it was, you could probably wait a couple of years before you lodge your tax return but so you could, you know, keep that money for a bit, right? So I think you could never do that here in the States, <laughs> I can come around and chop your knees off. But uh, <laughs> the, the ATO is still a great lender. But um, the, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but I think they're getting getting a bit more hard line. They need the money because Boris spends it on parties. And it's, I mean, like it's just incredibly, the ATO, you, you would have to say if you're, if you're doing a comparison of different tax authorities around the world, they would rank as one of the best at collecting tax revenue and you know the the, the system that they have in place now the, the 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 portal you know linking it to mygov and everything else they know so much about you before you've even told them anything yeah they, they've done a lot of work the last couple of years right? i think hmrc have done a pretty good job as well i, I think the i we, we we still get um typed letters from the IRS. So I assume that um, if you don't, they're pretty manual in there still. I mean, they've had a huge, huge amount of difficulty during COVID, but. Um, well, I, I dealt with one the other day, actually, because we we've got a company in the US and, um, you know, we needed to get some registration numbers and yeah, it was a, it was a phone call and then the, the lady faxed me. <laughs> yeah, that's why we love the IRS. You've got to have a that's, that's keeping those e-fax services in business, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, well, we yeah we adopted we adopted one of those pretty quickly uh, in the accounting firm. I can tell you, got sick of dealing with papers of uh, papers coming out the fax machine and flopping onto the floor. So, how big's the accounting firm? Like, how how involved in that are you still? And um, is is that a fun thing to do for you? Look, I find elements of it enjoyable. Like, I've I've, I've you know been been in public practice for over 15 years now so i kind of you know i'm at a stage now where i've kind of you know a lot of the aspects of it i'm i'm kind of like been there and done that and it's not necessarily particularly when it comes to the like let's say the tax advice piece you know and and let's say interfacing with a lot of the a lot of the software to do a lot of the tasks like i'm just i don't have that that level of interest in it anymore like i much prefer dealing with the team and optimizing the processes and and you know dealing with let's say more creative client issues that they might have you know so i'm still i'm still involved i would say relatively heavily but more in sort of like a managerial managerial role and the reason being that the you know the, the startup side of things for me is just as ramped up you know incredibly considerably you know so it's just time has shifted from from, from one to the other and um, so, so in the accounting firm, 
I think there's around 20, 26, 27 in there. You know, we've got a good a good team in the Philippines of about 10 or 11 now and then the rest of the guys are, are sort of based here. We've got two other really great staff, one in Singapore, one in Jakarta. So we're trying to, you know, we're kind of quite quite global in that uh, in that sense. But there's always this strong disincentive to scale the team locally here. You know, like you just start getting into that payroll tax threshold. In the Philippines, I can tell you, like the quality of the candidates that are coming out of university now, it's just it's really impressive. And you know, these are these are kids that are incredibly talented. They're you know they go on and and then they get their CPA and you know they do their time academically and you know just just incredibly smart enthusiastic talented kids and it's just it's hard to avoid that reality when you know there's such a strong disparity in the wages you know it's just and clients expectations in terms of pricing and value like that's always working against whatever business you're in I feel like you know people are wanting wanting more value for money and more the restaurant business, for instance. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, this is against a backdrop where not not a lot of small to medium businesses are doing particularly well as well. So, you know, people are already have already got a bit of a cost, you know, cost sensitive mindset. When I reflect on the growth of the team, it's you know, we we haven't really tried to to look at the business from the perspective of trying to scale it as rapidly as possible. It's just you know, we we knew we had quite a bit of work internally to to get sorted you know there's a rebrand that'll happen there at some stage in the next month or two and you know so and that was the kind of stuff that that you know again as i said is a bit more interesting to me rather than you know trying to solve someone's tax tax issues these days it's just and it's one of those things where particularly from a taxation perspective you can't you can't really get away with being a generalist in that that field. Like you really need to have a, a dedication to that craft, and you know you need to be constantly reading every week. And yes, you you need you need to be built a certain way, right? Like <laughs> to love to love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, what, like one of the, one of the one of the partners, like that's you know she did a master's of tax at University of Sydney, and she loves that she loves that stuff. Whereas I'm like the complete complete opposite. You know, I'd, I'd much rather engineer a new process for a client's business and you know see, see how that kind of all or functions and helps them you know to sort of improve things in their day-to-day and that's like you know as you touched on before there's that evolution that sort of happened across accounting firms where you just you know historically were kind of viewed as a glorified debt collector for the ATO and the conversations that you were having with clients were just quite shallow and one-dimensional and you know you'd have like a you'd have some clients where you'd be more involved in their businesses and you know more involved in interesting things that they might be doing whether it's selling a business or acquiring a business or you know restructuring or, or, or you know doing some internal initiative but you you know you've got a lot of other clients who you know you'll call up or they'll call you once a year and say hey it's tax time you know let's let, let's get it lodged and you know, I mean, you've sort of alluded to it, but is that the what was the genesis of the commencement of Amica? And and tell me about that story. We started in the integration space, so one of the very first integrations that we did was with a, a US point of sale provider, and they were quite cutting edge in terms of they were the first point of sale provider that basically was able to be used on an iPad. You know, rather than you've got this big right. Okay, was that Lightspeed? Was it? It was Revel. Revel point of sale. 
yeah, it was like a, you know, a startup company based in San Fran, you know, they were doing really cool stuff. It was like, uh, and, and that was like really, really groundbreaking in terms of like, you know, it's that kind of, you could have an iPad and you can have any app on it to run your business, you know, cause you've got great internet and, you know, you can hook it up to your payment terminal. And so we, we, that they, they had an appetite for building an integration between their system and zero and even back then zero was quite that was quite early on in terms of companies really integrating with zero and that that sort of landscape starting to evolve a bit more in terms of other app providers you know whether it was inventory management or or crm system or whatever it might be you know that was really you know the early phases of people thinking about what was possible in terms of hooking things into an accounting package we started on that journey and and you know we, we sort of figured out what the integration needed to be and how it was going to work and and you know back back then the the company was essentially myself and a ceo and we just recruited a bunch of student developers effectively and you know we were we, we were both at that stage juggling full-time jobs, you know, while we were doing this stuff on the side as well. He was, he was in commercial banking and, you know, I was, I was working in the practice. Neither of us had kids, kids back then. So, you know, it was just, it was just our, um, our, our wives getting angry with us rather than <laughs> neglecting, neglecting kids. So that was like incredibly um, bootstrapped. We, you know, we found some university students. We were working on, on weekends and all that kind of jazz and, we we were kind of figuring out our way through the product and yeah it managed to be very successful and within a short space of time we sort of had had a couple of hundred you know customers using that integration and then it was just it was kind of like a, a theme that always existed within the business and at the same time we were doing we were getting opportunities to do other projects for Revel customers, uh, whether it was packaging up point of sale information and, and sending it off to you know a server for someone else to consume, or whether it was looking at hooking it up to an online ordering system, or whether it was consuming information and pushing it into like a, a template for a finance you know a finance function to to consume. And so we were doing you know these these kind of like side projects at the same time and it was incredibly difficult to manage all of these kind of like one-off one-off projects like just in terms of the level of complexity in terms of the level of uncertainty around the the performance of the product so you know like when i reflect on that time apis were with a lot of the vendors that we were working with were quite let's say not super mature and they just were subject to change at the drop of a hat and, you know, were, were evolving quite rapidly. And there was just a, a really high amount of complexity in that whole process. And it was just very difficult to scale that, that side of the business. And it just, it made sense for us to focus more on products which just serviced a much broader segment of the market. So we knew whether it's Revel or whether it's another point of sale company or whether it's an e-commerce company, you know, we know what broadly you know what we might expect in terms of the intersection of that customer base in terms of their demands for having that data let's say integrated into an accounting package you know so it was just it made more sense for us to you know if we wanted to scale this business really rapidly to go down that that path where we were building these these connectors or these 
you know, automations uh, between between systems. And there's still a great deal of complexity in that side of the business and that process. Like you're still you've still got the challenge of you know evolving APIs and you know the developers you know times of pulling their their hair out when things you know chop and change and sometimes things change and you don't get informed. Sometimes things do change and you know you don't get sufficient notice before you can sort of make those accommodations on your side. You know, and, and not only that the products themselves that you're working with are also evolving. So we work with uh, Square and, you know, they've got where their product started to where it is now. I mean, it's such a, an incredibly deep product. You know, they're, they're managing scheduling and rostering now, which they, they, they didn't, you know, they didn't do initially. And, you know, debit cards linked to accounts and, uh, you know, so all, all, all of this stuff, which has, you know, made, made their product are much much more comprehensive for businesses to use but the challenge is you've got to keep pace with the way and the speed at which they're adding features because then when a customer is using those features that can you know it can break the integration if you haven't considered it or you know accommodated the way that that information is going to influence the data that you're already dealing with um, or change the data that you're already dealing with and you know i like to say that the architecture that we have, you know, it's it's like a Rosetta Stone of sorts because you're trying to translate what different APIs and, and endpoints of different vendors mean in terms of in a way that's globally understandable. So you can have, you know, there are hundreds of point of sale providers in the world, but the terminology they use in all of their API documentation, I can tell you is vastly different. Not only is the terminology vastly different, but the values that are attributed to those APIs can be different in and of themselves as well. So the way that they're calculated when they appear, like what are the what's the conditional logic behind when a value might be populated, you know, within a particular endpoint. And so that complexity, you know, it's been incredibly challenging to accommodate within the architecture and the, the, the development team has done a really amazing job you know, with that process and it's this, you know, constant iterative improvement that's that's happening there. But so we, we try to, as best we can, conceive of things in an identical and consistent fashion, bring it in so that, you know, we understand what we're working with and then, you know, when it comes to if we're pushing that into an accounting package, you know, there's this really heavy effort in the standardization process that's occurring so that, you know, if you're consuming information from a Revel point of sale or from a Square uh, point of sale system, even though they're vastly, they, they can be vastly different, you're structuring that data in a way that's consistent so that you can gain the same insights out of them. And there's a lot of effort that that goes into that. That's the benefit for the end for this for the small business. So what what's next for that business? Are you looking to grow that out and and uh, uh, internationalize further? Yeah, so we, we we've got quite a large global footprint now. Our CEO's is moved over to uh, Atlanta with his family, so we're growing out the US the US team team there at the moment, and um, just just you know expanding expanding the uh, the resources generally. I'd like the, the the list of you know products that we've got in the pipeline is you know <laughs> infinite infinitely long. It's been interesting in terms of just seeing that that kind of market evolve as well like there's just this 
there was already an appetite for information to to be transferred across systems and, and I, like i don't think that i think that problem still got a long way to being solved and you know this kind of comes up in a lot of discussions that that you know i, I have with with yeah our ceo it's like we the, the vision is like you, you have data and the data is really perfectly mobile across every platform so it wouldn't it doesn't matter what point of sale system it is. It doesn't matter what accounting package is. It, it, it is. It doesn't matter, you know, what CRM or inventory management system it might be. It's like you want that to be transferable and translatable across every across every system. And it's just it's very difficult to to achieve that. And you know, that's part of the the fun of the challenge. It's like trying to crack the crack the code, so to speak. And a lot of the you know a lot of this is born out of you know, if you're just looking at an accounting package and looking at apps that deal strictly with consuming information out of accounting an accounting package. So, you know, you, you have a lot of forecasting apps that have emerged over the past, you know, six, six, seven years. And, you know, the way that they present that information to the user and the way the user can use that information, it's, it's so incredibly powerful. You know, we really want to tap into being able to consume information out of every every system and you know we call it like liberating it for the um, for, for the customer because you know that there are incredibly valuable insights in the data that you're collecting and a lot of times the the customer doesn't really know or understand how how valuable and useful that information is and you know I like to use the forecasting apps as an example because it's just you know, you're in your day to day. You know that accounting file is just being maintained. You might not know how it's being maintained, but you know you, you probably didn't realize that you could forecast your cash flow twelve months down the track based on the data that you'd put into it over the past two years. That's something that's really attractive for us, and 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 definitely a core part of our value proposition, where we want you know all of this amazing data that people are generating. You know whether it's been the point of sale system or an e-commerce system or even a scheduling system, it's like give that, give that to the user, uh, and not just give that to the user, but also give them all of the insights and the value that they can take out of it as well, um, in a very, you know, easy to easy to digest way. Because I think the, um, you know, the challenging thing now is that there's a bit of a, you know, there's an app overload. You know, you got to learn like the, the learning curve attached to, you know, let's say like a forecasting app or a cash flow management app, like it's, it's steep. Like, you know, a, a guy that's running a cafe or a small, you know, another small business operation, like he's, he doesn't have the time to dedicate, dedicate 10 hours into learning just how to use the app and get the most out of it. And also these things are expensive too. Not every app is, is super cheap to, to run and, before you know it, you know, you've got an app that's managing your payroll, you've got an app that's managing your forecasting, you've got a, a pause system that's, you know, helping you process payments, you've got a, you know, that's linked to a payment provider that's taking a clip of the ticket and you, you add it all up and you're like, wow, I didn't realize I'm spending, you know, a grand just on software each, each month before I even do anything. 
the money that you used to spend on the server every year is certainly uh, i don't think it's i don't think it's declined it's probably increased to some degree it's just whether you can pass on those costs as much maybe you can pass them on a bit more but you're still going to feel them <laughs> we just want to eliminate the learning curve attached to understanding uh, accessing and understanding this information and like a lot of the stuff that you know whenever we're developing you know products we're always thinking about it from like a layperson user's perspective like you know like if you look at particularly when it comes to integrations you know you look at the way or the typical user journey you know it's complex they got to authenticate the product they got to make sure they're doing all of the mappings correctly you know what happens when you screw up a mapping and then you subsequently need to fix it and all this wrong data has gone into your system it's like it's it's a painful exercise and it's just like and i think that's one of the biggest things that we really emphasized and put a lot of effort into and it's a really key point of differentiation for us in the Amica business is the support, the support team. Like we, even though we've got these, you know, at the heart, uh, these really amazing products that save time, you know, for, for everyone involved, we always had a really strong emphasis that there is a service attached to that product. And it's a need born out of the complexity of the, the, the product and the problems that, that we're solving. And we don't want... You know, we don't want the users to feel like they're just, you know, you're giving them a, a widget and they don't really understand how to use it. And, you know, so we, we, we really wanted to make sure that, you know, although there's the product there, like in tandem with that, there is a really strong service that's that's offered as well. And like that's, you know, really reflected in the um, in the reviews that we get across all the marketplaces. Like that's just, you know, our, our support team, again, like they just do such an amazing job. And I should point out as well that when we were recruiting personnel for our support team in the early days, we were always recruiting accountants. So we were like a lot of these. They understand it the best, right? <laughs> yeah, and that, that, that was the thing. It's like, you know, you can't have a support person providing support if they don't understand accounting, they don't understand the reconciliation process. And, and that might vary, you know, depending on you know, the way that a bookkeeper or an accountant or the business owner might might have already decided that they want to do things. So, you know, we try to be sensitive sensitive to that. How many staff in that business now? Over 30 now. I think we might have just touched might have just touched 30. So yeah, and that's 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 sort of growing every other day of the week. It's it's a challenging environment to scale scale a technology team rapidly these days. Like there's just, you know, a, a crazy amount of competition in the market and it's not a fair a fair playing field if you're dealing with the likes of you know Atlassian or Google, or <laughs> these guys, you know. So yeah, so the team, you know, we're, we're we're scaling as quickly as we can, and we like to you know add quality, not quantity. <laughs> you know, I look forward to uh, working further with you, Martin, and 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 I know we're doing an integration shortly, and and uh, hopefully there's plenty of there to work with together. And um, I'm sure um, I can see, and uh, you know, we share quite a few of the same customers. So, you know, if there's anything that we can ever do to help, then uh, pl- please don't hesitate to reach out. But uh, we we come up to the hour, which is just flown by. So I, re- I really appreciate your time today. <laughs> yeah, no, anytime, anytime. Really lovely chatting to you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com/resources.
I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you on the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.